0: Let's go. Hello and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain our design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design.
1: Yes, Yes. Sustain Open Source Design.
2: SOS. (laughs)
0: Welcome to sustaining open source design, sustaining open source design, sustain open source design. I don't know, but let's just go with one of them. We're here to talk about the confluence of open source design, whatever that means, and sustenance. How do we make sure that these things continue and they do so in a healthy and awesome way for everyone involved. Very excited about our guest today who is a full-time UX mentor. I believe this is the first time we've had one of those on this show. There's not many of them in the world, so this will be really exciting and interesting. Before we introduce him, I want to make sure we also talk about the other panelists so that you know who they are when their voices suddenly pipe in with a question. I am, of course, Richard Littower. Hello, everyone. And it's really great to be here in Edinburgh. Django Skadupa, how are you doing today?
3: Doing well from marvelous, snowy Massachusetts, USA.
0: Yeah, you just got dumped. I wish I was there skiing. Awesome. all <laughs> Twice. How are you doing?
1: Well, now I'm jealous of not having snow. We've got quite a lot of rain here in the southwest of the UK, but I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I'm waiting for a nice dry day to be able to go to do some DIY work.
0: That sounds great. DIY for all you non-British people is putting up shelves and sort of doing stuff around the house. Super fun. Our guest today is also calling from Europe. So there's three Europeans on the podcast, if you include me. Heiko Titze. Heiko is calling from the mountains of Germany, where he is the UX mentor for the Document Foundation. Heiko, did I pronounce your name correctly? I just want to make sure.
2: Yes, it was correct. The Document Foundation is my employer and I'm working for the office. Since we talk about snow, the snow conditions are not so good anymore here in the Middle mount the spring has almost breaks through, but yeah, it's a nice day. And I'm happy to be here. We are happy to have
0: you. I invited you on because I had a chat with Mike Saunders from the Document Foundation. It was a wonderful chat about LibreOffice and the documentation and what they do together, basically, to provide a fully fledged open source document editor used by millions of people around the world, super fast any work. I asked. Mike, if he has any, any designers on the team. And he, of course, brought up you, Heiko. So can you tell us a bit about first what the Document Foundation is for newcomers to this podcast who haven't heard the other one on
2: the Sustain podcast and then what you do there? Well, the Document Foundation is the organization. Kind of umbrella organization behind usually more than one project. It is more than one project, but the biggest one is LibreOffice. It is kind of a legal entity. And I believe everyone who's listening to this show knows LibreOffice, successor of OpenOffice, the one tool that tries to solve every problem in the world. No, seriously, my position here is your ex-mentor And I do all this stuff around usability, good workflows, making things easy. I help the developers uh, figuring out how to draft your eyes. I care also a little bit about visual design, not myself, but as a mentor, my duty is to uh, bring people together to uh, keep the show running, to uh, welcome new volunteers, to support them and to advertise. So, okay.
0: First off, most projects don't have more than one person, if that, focusing on UX. And you're here mentoring other UX people. How much UX work is there to
2: go around? How does that work? How many UX people have you mentored? I would be happy if there's more than one professional. No, there are just volunteers, non-paid people who are interested in this topic, people who care about the ease of use who like to participate in the project and maybe also designers who have a little bit spare time and those are interested and as i said my duty is to mentor them not professional people who care about the application i believe it is easy to see that we can have more input on this field more designers that would be a great benefit but happens also for other fields like development, of course.
1: I'm really interested in the topic of mentoring because I found myself, I think, maybe maybe two years into sort of my open source design journey, really wanting other designers to be welcomed into the fold of open source and then essentially becoming a mentor myself. And since kind of Really, I wrote a talk about what I think maybe mentoring looks like in open source design, but I'm actually not that sure. And it was a, partly a joke talk that I gave at Fostem a couple of years ago. But I was really interested in what the unique challenges are in mentoring not only designers or any type of designers within open source, but kind of like what that intersection between mentoring designers and within open source can mean. I'd love to hear from you what you think, because I have my own thoughts, but this is about you. But yeah, can you talk about unique challenges for designers, mentoring designers in open source?
2: Oh my gosh, you make it a broad topic. <laughs> um, thing is, let's start uh, same broad. What is a designer? A person who cares about usability. I don't have a good word because designer is often misunderstood as people who do the visual part. It is a usability person who cares about the workflow, about using an application easily, quickly, without the need to read some documentation, maybe also with disabilities, whatever. There might be people who dedicate their lifetime for it, but everyone is a user. Most users and most of the developers I know are aware of the challenges, at least the challenges. And implement things probably more quickly, uh, not thinking about ease of use, not thinking about beginners and so on. But if you start to consider all these needs, you get quickly to the point where everyone can be a, a usability person, a designer for the workflow. And mentoring in this aspect means that we have to educate people what to think, how to think, what restrictions to consider, maybe things like guidelines, like the process of making decisions, how to get to a point where you decide whether some function is implemented or not. And it is, of course, makes sense to have a good uh, foundation to refuse some input from other users. And that is what I try to do. Mentoring also means to uh, enable people to participate in the development themselves. We uh, put a lot of work into things that are called easy hacks, that are topics. The simplest is to change, let's say, strings in the UI terminology. If we call something an item, it might make sense to have it more precise, like, or, whatever it is, don't get uh, a very good example. But we do have frequently input from users claiming some strings, some labels are not really precise enough to make the application easy to understand. So we decide, let's change it. And this case, my task is to tell people what to do. We make it as easy as possible. So if you want to start to work for the graphics, you don't even need to set up an environment you can do it in the development i don't know if how to translate garrett here say online repository for the source code Ooh, i hope this is not totally wrong <laughs> i'm not a developer myself so don't take my words too serious but so what you can do is to use the web interface for source code and change the sources there and i believe if you start with these very simple things you can quickly hopefully does not take too long to get to more difficult points like moving controls around adding controls to the interface and making it more appealing things like that
3: you spoke a little bit to the process of beginning the mentorship process And, you know, as someone who was almost entirely self-taught in this field, it's something that's extremely useful. Could you talk a little bit more about the backgrounds of the people that you mentor, where
2: they might have come from? Very much different people, ordinary users, and also people with um, a design background. It depends a lot on how long they join the team, let's call it a team, and what they do. We run, for example, a, a survey lately that was done mostly by a person. She was from the United States, Maria Berg, and she did the survey mostly on her own, set up a, a line survey with a couple of questions that we discussed in advance. That involves to create the survey, to consider the, the answer possibility and, the on and to evaluate the, the responses later collect all the information into some documents. So for tasks like this, I think you need more experienced people, people who are familiar with the way how to ask others about their opinions. For example, you should know what a liquid scale is. But I do have also volunteers who are really just users, ordinary users who want to improve something, who have ideas how their life could be easier than they just join the the discussion. I have to admit, it is definitely not easy for no one, at least because the topics are very difficult. It's never a simple question. Of course, there are simple questions. I don't like this dialogue, but always reasons why something has been evolved as it is now and it quickly goes into very much into details. We have to know the application and the little bit also the ideas behind in detail, and that is where people maybe struggle.
1: You said a word that I think is really interesting in how you just explained, but I also want to just pay attention to how awesome it is to have users that are part of the process as well. We've had previous speakers on the podcast talk about some of the ways in which They try to include non-contributors or like, it's hard because they then become contributors, right? Because they're participating. But basically just ensuring that the open source software project, the space is welcoming to everyone, regardless of what their contribution may be, and that users have incredibly valuable, valid contributions to make by virtue of using the tool in the way that they do, which is often very different to people that work on the tool as in, you know, are developing the tool or designing the tool. So that's super cool to hear. I would love to hear more about how that is structured and how people, I think it might be like you were saying about the easy hacks. So we'll circle back on that. But my question was going to be about this word that you used, which was team. I'm really curious to know what that team looks like where you are and how, because I found that designers, as well as finding some of the cultural aspects of open source unusual, if they've come from a, let's kind of call it a kind of standard or normalized design background, which doesn't kind of have as much of this community building aspect to it, or like designers engage with each other in quite, different ways in a collaboration aspect. And I'm always curious to know like, what kind of expectations do those designers or people that contribute design to the projects have about the team? Like, What are the expectations of the access to development? What are the expectations of what the project will do with their contributions? And what does building a team mean to you and, and the rest of the folks in the project?
2: I try to do the best. Let me start with My appreciation for the users who take the time and write a report on Baxilla. Baxilla is our tool to communicate with development, to write a report, not just a bug, but about, let's say, shortcomings in the process. I don't know, 10 minutes, 15, half an hour to write down step by step what is not so good and how it could be improved. And I understand those people who do it, Regularly, as part of the team, get back to the team team is typically a couple of people who are in a very close contact, working on the same task or similar task, sharing the goals and distributing work across the members that's not happening for us. no, we have different people everyone is doing what he she wants to do and we have experts for icons. I use a plural. That's there. Are not so many, but people who invest a lot of time in creating nice and appealing icons for LibreOffice. LibreOffice is used on many platforms, and the goal is to blend as best as possible with the native system. So we need different icon themes and. We have 2,500 or so different icons in the application. It's a huge amount of work and it's incredible how much effort and work went into this task. There are also people who contribute not so often or not so regularly. Let's say just one time, like for the About Dialogue, we got a very nice logo. What is it? A picture for the about dialogue, same person that did it for the, for Inkscape in the last version cycle. The thing is, these one time contribution are really important as well. And of course, back to the question, what is a team? It is also to have experienced people who know more about the document format, about how a certain workflow is supposed to work, things that even me, I don't have an idea how this particular function is supposed to work and I need those people and they give often input on the tickets on Baxilla so I can make a decision based on input from various people. That is awesome. What I really like is how well evolved
0: you are and how it seems that you have a grasp on where people can get started, how people can work. This is not a new project. I was just looking on the website and one of the questions I have is you, know, you talked about team and you just give it a pretty good break down there. But LibreOffice has a ton of contributors who contribute in other languages. You yourself natively speak German. And I'm just curious, how do you integrate different contributors from different languages? Do you have language-specific contributions or is there a way for them to easily participate outside
2: of English? Of course, even Klingons can contribute. No, just joking. We have a localization team and people who organize one person in the team who is hired to organize the the translation team. LibreOffice as a project is very proud of the community in general, not only the design and UX people or the developers, but the community around the project translators, marketing people. There's a project about native languages. And I believe we are the project with most translations available in 150 languages. Can speak about German. There are areas in German where minorities live. People who have their own language close to the Polish border. And I didn't know that They're split into South and North part. (laughs) It's it's incredible. And I know it because LibreOffice has one of the South dialect and one for the North. So if you want to run the Office application in Scottish Gaelic, you can do it very easily. And if you speak some very special language, some dialect, you're very welcome to translate, to join the team. And this is going easy and quickly to add for example klingon to the application
0: i love that as a speaker of several made-up languages as a learner of Scottish gaelic and as someone who specialized in minority languages in the past it's really excellent to be able to have that possibility maybe i should have rephrased or could i ask a, a, a second question which is let's suppose that i only speak gaelic how can i contribute to the open source Besides translations, is there a way for me to improve UX besides internationalization and besides localization? How do your teams integrate other user experience people from different backgrounds coming?
2: Yeah. Very good question. And we discuss this question almost every week in the team calls. Team call, not the design team, but the liberal team consisting from all the mentors that we have. And it is definitely a challenge. if. A person would speak only Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic. No chance to be a part of the design team. I don't speak Gaelic. I have no idea about all the letters. No way. And we speak English, so there's no German, and everyone has to do it in English. It is sometimes a bit difficult to get the point for people who are not too familiar with the Languages like me, I'm not the best in English, but there's at least someone who understands a few words, and you can repeat the question again. We do on Baxilla. If someone writes a ticket in the native language or in English, we rephrase, we ask. So we try to involve them as best as possible. But yes, the point is to involve people regardless the language barrier, and there's no good solution. We have a local. Teams, in particular from Asia, from Japan or Taiwan, there have been meetings around for different topics where one of the guys was translating the English, I think it was Japanese, got input and responses from the Japanese people translated back into English. It was kind of funny and it was working. It was a great experience and I love the communities for this effort they do to Get their people into the project. But for sure, we have to improve here as well.
1: I'm staying on the topic of languages, but moving into a slightly different question. But just to respond to what you were saying, it's so good to see a project that has such support of lots of different languages, in that it sets a great example for any other projects that want to support, like right to left and other kinds of orientations of languages that isn't the kind of I don't want to say the dominant English, but I guess it is, you know, it it sucks that it is, but it is. And I love to see projects that are embracing languages equally. Anyway, my next question was about language, but design language. And you've written something in our document that I'm, I want to make sure that I understand correctly before I head into this. You write about the challenge to find the balance between how dominant products do something and people requesting the tool to be more, what I'm assuming, the tool to be more like familiar tools that they use in other places. Like, So I guess the example is here, people might use proprietary or other word processing tools or document creation tools and expect the open source tool to look the same or use the same conventions. And I think that that's a really interesting topic because... I've often had a lot of arguments in the open source software space that even though Google's material UI or even though Apple did this or people have done that and lots of people use those tools, that doesn't mean that that is like universally the best way to design a tool for the audience that is using it. And I found it really difficult to have those conversations. So I'd love to hear more about how those conversations happen in the Document Foundation and on the different tools that you're working on because I think it's a fascinating topic.
2: The topic was meant in twofold. First of all, there's a 99-1 rule. You have 90% of users who don't participate in the project and remaining 10% is only one who's really active in verbals. And those people uh, give the input to us. The 1% of the 100 That's not even 1%. I'm not too much concerned about the 1% of people who want something, a change, a special feature. But in fact, the other aspect is more important. If most people or most users know a certain workflow from a dominant software, in our case, Microsoft Office, of course, they expect the workflow to be the same on the other software as well. You don't want something special, nice, different. Just want to get things done, write a letter without any thrills. You don't want to care about styles and whatever. Most users, of course, there are also groups who have advanced requirements, but who know how things work in Microsoft Office. They expect, for example, the group v- the shortcuts to be the same in LibreOffice. And now the point is that we, developed cross-platform. The application has to work on Windows as well as Linux as well as macOS and all the other systems too. So we cannot guarantee that all the shortcuts are working nicely across all the systems. I'm on Linux KDE, so Alt F2 switches my desktop to the second screen and back. It is a function that is not known on Windows. They can use this shortcut for something else. When it comes to shortcuts, we have, again, something like a, a language barrier. Something that I would love to overcome, the shortcuts are ASCII characters. It's A to C and uh, no, for example, German umlauts. I cannot press Alt, A, Umlaut. Not possible. It's not accepted. Software cannot recognize it and keyboard is different. The semicolon is on a German keyboard combined with a shift key. On the English keyboard, it is not. So you can use a combination with shift and semicolon, not possible with uh, other keyboards. Was one example, (laughs) but the expectation is to make it easy to use and Microsoft is how things have to be done. Of course, we compare and Often it makes sense to follow the Microsoft tool. It is not so rarely that Microsoft has issues in the workflows. Something does not do really well. For example, today I replied on a ticket. Someone asked to select the Pilgrim, uh, symbol. It's the end of a paragraph. It's one symbol that indicates the end of a paragraph as an unprintable character and the the request was to select the for something for formatting. doesn't matter. It's not possible with LibreOffice, but Microsoft Office allows to select only the pilcro. And when I apply some formatting, like a large font, black, white, color, nothing happens. I treat it as a bug. It must not happen. So we need to be very careful. The other thing is if Microsoft invents some UI, like the ribbon, it is something where the users start probably complain at the beginning, but they get used to it. And that happened in the past, and it is visible in all surveys I did in the past 10, 15 years. New people get used to the ribbon UI, and they do not want a deep menu structure. Elder people expect a classic UI thing is, do we want to implement it exactly like Microsoft does? No, I do not. But then it comes to kind of a balance. If we introduce something different, I tried here with a a main UI, LibreOffice calls it the notebook bar. It is kind of a blank canvas where all kind of controls can be placed. And I tried to create some UI on my own, a little bit similar to the ribbon, but without the tap view where you always get a complete new layer on the top of your screen. The idea was to have as much consistent in the UI and only a few items depending on the context. And all the other functions are hidden in the main menu or in dialogues or on the site where we have kind of sidebar with a lot of functions. Anyway, it can be As nice as it is, if users don't accept it, if they are not used to it, they think it is too simple, they don't even start because the name is unknown and the developers are not interested in joining the effort. So point is, it is buggy, it's not well implemented, no one uses it, and it rather hurts usability by being part of the possible options. We struggle with omnipresent software, always, everyone. And sure, we need to decide on every day. It's been excellent listening to you. You're clearly very thoughtful on these
0: topics and you've spent a lot of time working on how to make sure that the project is welcoming and awesome. Unfortunately, we are running up on time, which really sucks for me because I really wanted to ask some more questions about the design principles you have on the wiki, which is awesome. Everyone should just go check them out. They have literally UX principles listed right there. that can help talk about why you would want to submit a PR or why you would want to change something in some way. Really, really cool. Another thing that I wanted to talk about was something that you brought up in the show notes, which we didn't get to, which is how you get data and how you do that properly. Love to maybe have you back on at some future point to talk about that for now. I want to ask a couple of roundup questions. The first is where can people learn more from you? Where can they find out how to follow you on the internet or how to join the design team at the Document Foundation slash LibreOffice?
2: On our wiki, it's uh, wiki.documentfoundation.org slash design. We have a section contact. The design people are on all... Major platforms, IRC has a channel and Telegram has a channel and everything is bridged with the the other and also Matrix. So you can join any of these channels and you reach people from the design team and me, of course, as well. We are on Twitter, so joining is very easy. The wiki has also a a few more information how to get in contact or what to do. Thank you so much for that. Now's the
0: best part of the show. So Spotlight is where we talk about projects or people which we think just need the light shown on them. So this is something different. Django, what is your Spotlight today?
3: This is actually something that I've been working on with a professor at RIT. So Open at RIT has been working with this project recently and... It is the Vulnerability History Project. Vulnerability History Project is a project done by a computer security professor at RIT, and it publishes the context and human factors surrounding critical computer security vulnerabilities. So going through the site, you can access data, you can look through the timelines of how those vulnerabilities came to be, and better understand the human factors that potentially led to that vulnerability being pushed to whatever project
0: they were in. Thank you very much. Awesome.
1: That's such a cool project, Django. I have already shared it with lots of people as you were speaking. I can't wait to dig into it. I'm going to do one in a bit spotlights. So I hope that's okay. The one in a bit is that we had our monthly human rights centered design community call last week, and it was about assistive technology, uh, specifically assistive technology that helps people that are unable to speak, speak with devices that have simulated voices. And there aren't a lot of open source projects that deal with AAC devices. There's a lot of assistive and accessibility open source projects, but not a lot for these kinds of assistive technologies that are really critical to quality of life. And so I wanted to share one that was shared by one of the speakers at the Human Rights Centred Design Call, which is openaac.org. So there are a number of different projects there for the folks that are interested in accessibility to check out.
0: My spotlight today is David Pearson. David Pearson is a friend of mine, although I haven't talked to him in a long time, sadly, who makes a lot of languages. He has made Dothraki and Valyrian for Game of Thrones. You can learn High Valyrian on Duolingo. It has more users learning it than Scottish Gaelic, which is hilarious. He has also made the languages in the movie Dune. He also used to be the president of the Language Creation Society, which I used to be on the board. He's one of the people who was instrumental in getting me into conlanging in a way that was more professional. I, of course, also make languages. So feel free to contact me whenever. But David Peterson is just a really great guy who has been doing an excellent job normalizing. Let's make languages and let's make films, have languages and not random Swahili phrases. So thank you so much, David Peterson. Heiko,
2: what is your spotlight today? It is Free Pascal. It's open source clone of Portland Delphi gpl and very nice pascal compiler beautiful thing plus the accompanying ide called lazarus and a project a visual component library that plays very well together with free pascal it's many people in the project that do really great open source work and it is very much pity that there's not more development here no more not so many people working with Pascal. It is an easy to use language, nice syntax, the language. So I would draw a little bit more attention on this project.
0: Love it. Thank you so much. Heiko, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast today. I love what you're doing. Please keep it up. Thank you for being our first UX mentor guest. If you like this or have any questions, feel free to reach out. We can either direct them on to Heiko or you can direct them there
2: yourself. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, it was a pleasure to be here next time we do it in Valerian.